welcome back to GemCast. I'm joined here today by Sergei Motov, who is an expert in all things pain management and pain control. So, Sergei, welcome. Well, thank you so much for such a unrealistic introduction. Thank you. <laughs> you are giving me too much credit. Now, I, now I've set you up. Yes, um, you did. So, so we're here today to talk about a paper that you published on IV subdissociative dose ketamine versus morphine for acute geriatric pain in the emergency department, a randomized controlled trial. Now, first of all, what was your motivation behind doing this study? So as you know, and I hope some of our listeners do know, that I have been a big proponent of subdissociative ketamine analgesia in the ED. And despite magnitude of research conducted throughout the entire country and overseas, I believe its role as an analgesic is still highly underutilized. I believe there's some lack of experience, maybe regulatory or administrative concerns are severely limiting broad use of subdissociative ketamine in the ED. On the other hand, all the studies that I came across and myself conducted in the past were limited to patients who were relatively young. The upper limit of the age was 64. And as we all know, the geriatric patients are becoming more and more prevalent in our EDs. And it seems to be prudent to explore this analgesic modality, such as sub-dissociative ketamine, in this group of patients. Wonderful. Well, sort of to give a big picture, people come to the ER with pain all the time. And as you mentioned, older adults, which is 65 and over, are the population of older adults is increasing because of the baby boomers aging and because of improved health and people having longer lifespans. And in this population in specific, there are always more concerns about balancing the risks of potentially harming someone from a medication like morphine or hydromorphone or other things like that versus the benefits of pain control. And older adults, for many different reasons, pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic reasons, are more sensitive to medications. So it's important to be cautious. And we know that opioids can have side effects like sedation, respiratory depression, nausea, etc. And as you mentioned, most of the studies in ketamine use, subdissociative as well as dissociative dose ketamine, aren't focused on older adults. So subdissociative dose ketamine can be a great alternative or adjunct for pain control in younger patients. We certainly have a protocol in our ED for using it, but we really need this information to know if it's safe and efficacious in older adults. So let's jump into your study in kind of a PICO fashion. What was the population that you looked at and what were your inclusion or exclusion criteria? So our study included patients aged 65 and older who presented to our ED with variety of acute painful conditions such as acute abdominal pain, flank pain, back, or acute musculoskeletal pain. With initial score of five on or more on a standard 11 point numerical pain rating scale. In addition, one of the inclusion criteria was that those patients ordinarily would have received an opioid analgesic as determined or deemed necessary by a treating attending physician. Acute pain was defined as a having an onset within seven days. We had amazingly strict and broad range of exclusion criteria, which one of the limitations we're going to talk later precludes our study from device produced in the country. Some of them included ultimatal status, allergy to morphine or ketamine, extreme of age, uh, weight, extreme of vital signs, past medical history of acute head or eye injury, seizure, intracranial hypertension, severe COPD, variety of a chronic painful conditions, as well as renal and hepatic insufficiency, alcohol or drug use, psychiatric illnesses, 
or recent four hours prior to arrival to DED opioid use. And what was your intervention and your control or comparison? Sub-dissociative dose ketamine administered as a single agent in a dose of 0.3 milligram per kilogram via short infusion over 15 minutes served as an intervention. Intravenous morphine given at a dose of 0.1 milligram per kilogram as well over 15 minutes was an active control and at the same time was a active comparator. And what did you find as the outcome? Briefly, outcomes, they were primary and secondary. Primary outcome were evolving around the change in pain scores at 30 minutes. Secondary outcome included a need for rescue analgesia and rate of side effects, some of them specifically unique for ketamine. For that very reason, we use so-called SERSDA scale and Richmond Agitation Sedation Scale. And if we jump to the results, to our great satisfaction, all patients in both groups showed a significant reduction in mean change in pain score by an American rating scale at 15 and 30 minutes. It's interesting to point it out that at 15 minutes mark, a larger percentage of patients in sub-dissociative ketamine group had greater reduction in pain from baseline mm. in comparison to morphine. And we're talking about two points different. I think two points, it's probably better than any statistical data we were aiming for. Usually it's 1.3 and such. Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, at 30 minutes, there were no difference with respect to change in pain score. Of note, at 15 minutes mark, more patients in sub-dissociative ketamine group had a greater change in pain score by three or more points in comparison to morphine. Now, the thing that got me absolutely flabbergasted over our results, which unfortunately I was not expected, is enormously high rate of side effects in sub-dissociative ketamine group at 15 and 30 minutes. Despite the fact that both medications were given as a 15-minute short infusion, 87% of patients in sub-dissociative ketamine group had side effects at 15 minutes versus 47% in morphine, and 73% of patients had various side effects related to SDK dose at 30 minutes in comparison to 37% of morphine. And what were the side effects primarily that you saw with both medications? So primarily to ketamine, 60% of patients reported dizziness versus 27 to 30% in morphine group. 50% reported feeling of unreality, which is very specific to ketamine. None of them reported in the morphine group. 6.7% mm -hmm. in ketamine group reported hallucinations. 10 to 15% in morphine group reported nausea. And maybe, and as I mentioned, only 35% reported feeling dizzy. So that's interesting. Seems effective, but then it has all these potentially additional side effects. Are there any other limitations? You mentioned some a little bit earlier, but what are the limitations to potentially um, expanding this or relating it to other EDs? Well, a uh, limitation of the study, the various, but one of the limitations that I would like to emphasize is that I've been preaching and educating my colleagues and our colleagues to the fact that the best way to give ketamine is to put it in a piggy bag, give it at 0.3 milligram per kilogram, and just drip it over 15 minutes, and feel like it. I was really wrong. And I would like to have this opportunity to recommend to lower the initial dose and probably extend an infusion. And I'm going to be changing my own practice. I'll probably push for 0.1 to 0.15 mg per kilo over 30 minutes. Remember, you can always titrate. If you look at analgesic range of the dosing for SDK, it's from 0.1 to 0.3. If 0.1 wouldn't work, you can always add additional dose. But I believe we need to start low, and we need to go longer. Mm 
because 87% of patients suffering from psychoperceptual side effects outweigh any benefits from short-term analgesia of SDK. In a simple way, I don't really care how good your pain is, but if you're not feeling well and you're being bothered by the side effects, something is not right. And what is, is there literature that doing it over the 15 or 30 minute infusion is better than a, a slow push, for example? Well, I'm glad you brought it up. Well, I'm not trying to brag, but one of the studies we actually <laughs> did, yeah, sounds interesting. We did in 2017, I was specifically looking for that psychoperceptual side effect stage of sub-dissociative dose ketamine. And based on the prior literature and my own experiences, the rate of those interesting neurophysiological side effects are directly related to the rate of infusion. So what we did, we randomized patient to receive sub-dissociative ketamine via push over three to five minutes or via 15 minutes, short infusion. And at that study, we were able to demonstrate that rates of psychoperceptual side effects were lower in infusion group nearly by 46%. Mm. And that was the reason I started recommending everybody to do so. Now we're doing this geriatric study and all of a sudden everything goes back to where we started. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously you mentioned one thing, look, it's plausible that because of age-related changes in pharmacodynamic, pharmacokinetic, maybe underlying renal insufficiency, maybe drug-drug interaction, or for variety of reasons that maybe I don't even know, older are more sensitive to mm -hmm. a ketamine dosing. And maybe in that subgroup, we should probably aim for the maybe lower initial dose and longer mm -hmm. duration of the infusion. But I'm telling you, this over 80% of unhappiness kind of really put me on a different track. And I would really, mm -hmm. I'm not a big proponent of go slow, start low and go slow sometimes because if people need it, need it. But titration remains the key. And I would recommend once again, start lower dose, extend the infusion and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So potentially going to the 0.15 or 0.1 mg per kg over 30 minutes. We'll have to see what that shows in future studies. But what is your practice? Let's say you have a 70-year-old woman who has fallen and comes in with a hip fracture. What are your first, second, third-line agents for pain control? Beautiful. Well, I usually separate this patient to opioid-eligible or non-opioid-eligible. And the reason being, while I'm still trying to reduce opioids in old early, you know, with the broken bones, technically, you probably okay by giving at least one initial dose of an opioid, either parenterally or if you like enough, maybe you can give intranasal dose of fentanyl and such. Should patient have a contraindication of opioids or they're unable to tolerate and you believe they're not going to do well, then we use different stuff. And my practice is to start them on sub-dissociative dose ketamine, and now it's going to be 0.1 over 30 minutes, which means I'll buy myself at least good 15, 15 to 30 minutes of hopeless abdominal pain relief. And the next step is uh, nerve block. Mm -hmm. Ultrasound-guided fascia iliaca, preferably, or ultrasound-guided femoral nerve block. Now, if there is a variety of contraindication to a block, you can probably consider second dose of an opioid if they tolerate the first well. If not, put them on a continuous sub-dissociative dose ketamine infusion with a starting dose at 0.15 milligram per kilogram per hour. And on case-by-case -case basis, you might consider, which is not widely acceptable or, frankly, available in many departments, a single dose of intravenous acetaminophen. But I'm not advocating for routine use, this type of medication in elderly. So once again, initial opioid plus block, sub-dissociative ketamine plus block, no opioids, ketamine plus block, no block, opioids, ketamine plus minus intravenous acetaminophen. 
Wonderful. Well, it will be very interesting to see how your future research pans out in terms of whether the lower dose has fewer side effects, which you would expect, as is the case with most medications, and whether it achieves adequate analgesia. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to, because surprisingly, there is really no true dose-finding studies of sub-dissociative dose ketamine when it comes to pain management. So, good potential for research. I know this wasn't specifically in the study, but what is your practice on using ketamine in older adults for procedural sedation? I use it. I believe it's indicated. However, when it comes to older with certain comorbidities, the therapeutic window and use of it actually makes me very, very, very cautious. Patient with severe coronary artery disease, uncontrolled hypertension, frankly, even bad COPDs, I try to avoid this medication. And if I do use it, my initial dose, it's not one milligram per kilogram. I usually start with 0.3 to 0.5, and I titrate up. And I never use ketamine as a single agent in elderly because of this hyperdynamic sympathetic activation. Mm-hmm. I may put him on the brink of fulminant pulmonary edema, you know, hypertensive crisis, and frankly, even MI if it's possible. I usually use ultra-low dose of propofol to just ease or smooth the duration of sedation. Mm-hmm. And last time I checked on this literature, there were very small, essentially case series type studies of people having ketamine sedation, and it was generally safe, but again, they were small studies. But even some studies from surgical or anesthesia literature where patients had had whole surgeries under ketamine uh, in their 70s and 80s and done fine. But again, there isn't great literature in terms of um, this population and specific risk factors. So I think the idea of combining it with propofol is is good. I, th- I like that option, especially in patients who maybe you don't want to use pure propofol because of their blood pressure or other issues going on. Any last thoughts you want to share on this topic? Well, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for giving an opportunity to be uh, having the, to do in this podcast with you, to be interviewed by you, and to sharing our work that we do in my shop when it comes to geriatric pain management. I think, once again, it's uh, one of those non-opioid analgesic modalities that might have a potential or usability in elderly patients. But once again, with a properly selected elderly, with a properly selected dosing regimen and duration of treatment, we might be able to succeed. Am I ready to push ketamine on every single elderly? Probably not, even though we use a fair amount of ketamine in our elderly patients. But once again, execute cautious optimism, balances versus risks, and uh, be judicious when it comes to geriatric analgesia. It's always easy to give a little less in the beginning. It's always hard to give more and then reverse it. So titrate slowly. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on Gemcast, and I look forward to seeing the results of your future work. Thank you so much for having me, and I'll be sharing those results with you as soon as they become available. Thanks. Thank you.